0: As I have been doing um, this year in the lessons that I presented, we've been looking at Jesus as, as the master teacher. And we've seen a number of different ways, circumstances, and scenarios in which Jesus exercised that, uh, that teaching excellence that we, that we view in him. This morning we're going to look at Jesus teaching one-on-one. And there's no one in all of the gospel accounts that we see Jesus teaching one, on more, one more with than Peter. Peter, who of course was probably the, the most prominent, certainly the most vocal of the disciples that Jesus gathered around him. And probably in many ways the most challenging of Jesus' disciples. Because he was a vocal individual, because he was an impulsive individual, because Peter sometimes you know, spoke before his, his brain was fully engaged, as perhaps some of us are guilty of doing sometimes. You know I often look, you know when we think about the two most prominent of the apostles in the New Testament, Peter and Paul. You know, I always look at Paul, Paul is a person I wish I was. Peter is the person I probably am, (laughs) you know, with all of his weaknesses, his faults, his failings, his his misjudgments, his his eagerness to do one thing and and having that not be quite the right thing to do. And so it's interesting that that's the individual, that Peter is the one that we see Jesus spending the most one-on-one time with in teaching. And I don't think that's by accident. One, I think Peter needed more of that than perhaps any of the others. And also because I think in a, in, a lot, in a lot of ways, Peter does represent us. You know, he is that very human part of us as disciples. You know, hard in the right place, but not always knowing what that right place is. And so Jesus always had opportunities to mold and shape and correct Peter. So we're going to look at three circumstances this morning where Jesus delivered a message to Peter. And we're going to see that these were three very different situations. These were not situations, in, in for the most part, where Jesus sat down, Here, Peter, I got a lesson for you. But rather we're going to see that there are three different, say what we might call in the modern, modern vernacular, teachable moments that Jesus seized upon to work with Peter and to present him a lesson that I think not only was meant for Peter, but also is meant for us as well. The first of these we're going to find in Matthew the 14th chapter, beginning at verse 22. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 14, there's a lot of stuff that happened earlier in the chapter before we get to this point. Because Jesus was... uh, in the most active portion of his, of his preaching and teaching ministry at this point. And he had been uh, traveling, he'd been doing a lot of preaching and teaching, and in specifically in this particular chapter, he'd been doing a lot of healing. You know, people who are coming to him and bringing their, their, their sick, their, their infirm, their afflicted to him, and Jesus had been healing those folks using the, the power that he had. And on this particular occasion, when there had been a large number of people that had come with their, you know, with their sick, or who had come themselves because they were sick, and Jesus seized the opportunity not only to heal, but to present, present teaching to them as they came. And because it was an isolated place, people got hungry and there was no place for them to go to get food. And so the disciples gathered the resources that there were, which was just a small amount of bread and fish. And Jesus had used this small amount of bread and fish to feed a crowd of thousands of people. 5,000 men plus women and children. And Peter and the other disciples had, had, had witnessed Both of these things had witnessed the healings, had witnessed the miracle that Jesus performed with the food. And that's where we come to in, in the 22nd verse of Matthew 14. And here's what Matthew records. He says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. In his eye, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Two things. Peter was struggling with in this circumstance. First of all, Peter had a crisis of faith. He looks out on the water. He sees Jesus walking on the water in the midst of this this storm. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, now... (laughs) Peter knew who Jesus was. It wasn't as though Peter had never seen Jesus before. It wasn't like Peter was like, huh, wonder if that's Jesus. Peter certainly knew that this was Jesus. What Peter was reacting to was Jesus... Was walking on water, which he had never seen before. And so the first thought out of his mind is, well, Lord, if, if that's you doing this, which again is kind of an interesting thing. Because earlier that day, Peter, along with the other disciples, had seen Jesus miraculously healing. A multitude of sick people. And feeding a crowd of thousands with a very small amount of food. So it's not like Peter didn't know Jesus could do stuff other people couldn't do. It was not as though the idea that maybe Jesus could walk on water should have seemed necessarily like an impossible thing. Somebody who could miraculously heal multitudes of sick people and feed a crowd of thousands with a small amount of food might just be able to do anything. But Peter's faith hadn't quite gotten up to that level yet. Because this was a new thing. Jesus now walking on water. And so Peter's like, well, Lord, is is that really you? Can you really do that? Is that really possible? Peter's faith, despite all of the things he'd seen, was still struggling with that. And then the next thing he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you On the water. It was not enough for Peter to say, Lord, just confirm for me that that's you, and I'll be good with that. It wasn't enough for Peter to simply witness the miraculous power that Jesus had. Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. All of a sudden, this whole miraculous power thing seemed pretty cool to Peter. And he was like, I sure would like to get in on that. And since I'm closest to Jesus of all of his disciples, maybe he would give me some of that power too. So Peter doesn't just say, Lord, just holla back. And and let me know that's you. Lord, let me come to you on the water too. Which again, if we really think about it, is a faith problem for Peter. Because Jesus didn't need to prove anything to Peter at this point. Peter had already seen Jesus that very day do things that could only be accomplished by the power of God. He didn't need to prove anything to Peter. But here's Peter, show me one more thing, Lord. Give me the power to walk on water. And then I'll believe. But not only did Peter have a faith problem, he also had a focus problem. Because what happens when Peter gets out of the boat, he walked on water. Started walking toward Jesus as though he was walking on dry land. And as long as he was focused on Jesus, that worked Just fine. But Matthew tells us that when he saw the wind, and of course, he doesn't literally mean he saw the wind, because you can't see the wind, but he saw the effects of the wind. He saw the waves and the water splashing up. All of a sudden, Peter was afraid. And he started to sink. The minute that Peter started looking at the wind and the waves, rather than at Jesus, he started sinking. And his first response is to cry out, Lord, save me. And when I see Peter in that circumstance, I look at myself. And I say, how often is that me? How often is it me that's going along just fine as long as I keep my focus on Jesus? But the minute that I start paying attention to everything else that's going on in the world, the minute that I start paying attention to the wind and the waves, whether that's the wind and waves of Global pandemics, whether that's the wind and waves of social injustice, whether that's the wind and waves of political turmoil, whether that's the wind and waves of my neighbor and I not getting along, whatever it might be, when I start paying attention to the things that surround me rather than Jesus how quickly do I start sinking? How quickly do my feet begin to slip below the water? And how often am I quick to cry out, Lord, save me! Because I've gotten myself into a predicament. And I know that only He can help. When in fact, if I had just relied on him from the very start, I wouldn't be where I am in that moment. If I'm honest, that happens to me more often than I want to admit. And I would imagine that probably many of us find ourselves in that situation. How, are, how often am I Peter? Peter? Struggling with faith, always wanting more, always wanting to see, Lord, do one more thing to show me so I can believe. Give me one more clue, give me one more sign, and then my faith will be solid. And how often do I struggle with my focus? That things are going just fine as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus. And the minute I start paying attention to everything else in the world, it's then that I start to sink. The second lesson that we see Jesus delivering to Peter is in the 18th chapter of Matthew. In the 21st verse, we're told that Peter came to Jesus. And asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he goes on to tell Peter a story says the kingdom of heaven was like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all the yode. And here's how Jesus ends the story. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Peter made two mistakes. His first mistake was pretty obvious. He thought forgiveness had limits. Lord, how how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Seven times? Peter probably thought that was pretty generous. (laughs) Man, if I forgave somebody seven times, I have gone above and beyond. Seven times is a lot. But Jesus' response shows that forgiveness, true forgiveness, is without limit. He said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And by that, Jesus isn't really saying, okay, you just need to count higher, Peter. He's really just saying, forgiveness needs to multiply. The amount of forgiveness you think is enough. Multiply that by much more. Because it'll never really be enough. Because that's how forgiveness works. If it's genuine forgiveness. Suppose God said, I will forgive you of seven sins. When would you have run out of forgiveness? (laughs) Probably day one for me. Maybe day two. But certainly not very far along. But that's not how God's forgiveness works. God's forgiveness just multiplies. Just keeps going. And God's expectation is that if he's forgiven me, in a multiplicative manner then I need to forgive in exactly that same way. That's what Peter needed to understand. Peter, God is not keeping track of how many times he forgave you. Neither should you be keeping track of how many times you've forgiven a brother or sister who's wronged you. Now that's that's the obvious mistake Peter made. We can see that pretty clearly. But the less obvious mistake is the one that got Peter to that point. The less obvious mistake is not that Peter was trying to count up forgiveness and put a cap on it. The less obvious mistake is what drove him to that wanting to do an accounting. And that is that Peter didn't really understand being grateful for forgiveness. Didn't really embrace the forgiveness that he was receiving through God's grace and mercy. And therefore, needed to hear the story that Jesus told. Because in that story, the servant who comes to the master owed a massive debt. 10,000 bags of gold. He wasn't paying that off in 10,000 lifetimes, which is the point. He owed a debt he could not pay, ever. And what he asked for was, please be patient with me until I can pay it back. But what the master does instead is not say, okay, I'll wait. What the master does is cancels the debt. He doesn't say, okay, I'll wait until you've got the 10,000 bags of gold and I'll collect then, or I'll put you on an installment plan and you can pay me one bag of gold a year. (laughs) Instead, he cancels this enormous debt. He just says, we're just going to forget about that. We're going to pretend that never happened. The servant got more mercy. Not only than he asked for, but than he could have imagined was possible. There's no way when he walked in there that he could have expected that the master was just going to say, okay, forget about it. He was just hoping to get a little more time. And instead what he got was freedom. Absolute freedom from that debt. And yet, he goes out and he runs into another servant who owed him, relative to his own debt that had just been forgiven, a small amount. 100 pieces of silver. Not, not a debt. Not, not nothing. But compared to 10,000 bags of gold, a drop in the bucket. And yet, having been forgiven this great weight of debt, entirely and completely, he could not see his way clear to forgive the debt relatively small one that his fellow servant owed to him but instead had the man thrown into prison until he could pay. Why did he do that? Because he didn't appreciate the gift of forgiveness He did not appreciate the gift of mercy that he had received. He was not grateful for his forgiveness. And what Jesus is saying to Peter by making Peter sit through that story is, Peter, that is you. The reason that you're coming to me asking me how many times do I have to forgive somebody is because you are not grateful for the forgiveness that God has given you. Because Peter, God is not keeping track and if he was, you'd have run out on day one. Peter's problem was not just wanting to put a limit on forgiveness. Peter's real problem was not being grateful for the forgiveness that he got. And again, when I see myself in Peter, I have to ask myself the question, how often is that me? How often do I look at myself In the spiritual mirror, see the sins that I've committed and fall on my knees begging God to forgive me. This great weight of debt that I've built up. And yet, somebody says something to me that hurts my feelings, somebody does something to me that I don't like. Somebody is harmful or hurtful to me in some way and I want to throw them in prison until they make that right. Not literally, but you know what I'm saying. And why do I do that? Because I'm not grateful as I should be for the mercy I have received. Because if I was, I would be eager to extend that same mercy to those who owe me. If I really understood and appreciated and embraced and was thankful for God's forgiveness to me, that's a gift I would be eager to share with everybody I could. Meaning everybody who did wrong to me. And the reason I failed to do that, invariably, is because I forget how much I've been forgiven. How great that debt was. And God didn't just say, I'll give you more time to pay it off. He canceled the debt. Peter needed to learn that lesson. That's a lesson I still need to learn sometimes. The third lesson that Jesus teaches Peter, and these are not the only three. They're just three that we chose. Actually happens after Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus wasn't yet done teaching Peter. Even after he had died on the cross. And come back. He still had more for Peter to learn. In John, the 21st chapter, the week following Jesus' second appearance to his, to his disciples, Peter had gathered several of the others and said, Let's go fishing. Because that's what they did, you know. Peter was a fisherman, that was the life he knew. And with Jesus now apparently out of the picture, and yet they knew that something else was coming and didn't yet know what that was, Peter said, well, I'm going to go fishing. Come on if you want to go. They went out, didn't catch any fish all night. Jesus showed up and said, you might try fishing over here. And they caught over 150 fish. So many fish that the nets couldn't hold them. And after they had pulled the fish up and gotten the boats out of the water and had prepared a meal and Jesus had eaten with them, here's what John records. He said, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? And by more than these, he doesn't mean, I don't think, more than these other guys. He meant more than these things. The boats, the fish, the trappings of your former life. The life that you've ostensibly left behind to serve me, but now you're seizing the first opportunity to go back to. Do you love me more than these things? And Peter, of course, always quick to respond, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, Peter, always quick to respond, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? And now Peter is hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. For very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. And lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death. By which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him. Follow me. And Peter turned. And saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this is the way that John always refers to himself. In, in his gospel he never refers to himself by name. He never says I, he never says John he always just says the disciple whom Jesus loved Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said Lord who's going to betray you and when Peter saw him he said Lord what about him Because Peter got the idea of what Jesus was saying in that other thing. He got that message. Well, if I'm going to have to die, Lord, what about John? And Jesus said, I want him to remain alive till I return. What's that to you? You must follow me. And John said, because of this, rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive till I return, what's that to you? And then John says, this is that disciple who testifies to these things and wrote them down. We know his testimony is true. What was the message Jesus was trying to get across to Peter? Peter? in this kind of odd conversation. Three times. Simon, do you love me? The lesson for Peter was that God's love is a gift, but it comes with responsibility. Sometimes people struggle with that because people say if God's love is free, why do I have to do anything? And the answer is because that's how gifts work. When my daughter was little, she wanted a pet and she got a bunny rabbit. The bunny rabbit's name was Fluffy. She didn't pay anything for fluffy. We went her mother and I to the to the feed store where they raised rabbits and we bought a rabbit for her. We paid the money. We bought the food. But yet, even though Fluffy was a free gift, Fluffy came with a responsibility. Fluffy had to be fed. Fluffy had to be given water. Fluffy's bedding had to be changed because Fluffy would do her business in the pen. Fluffy needed to be petted and run around the yard, all of the things that a rabbit needs. Fluffy was free. She was a gift. But she came with a responsibility. As parents, you may have given or may someday give your children a car. It's a gift not going to charge them for it. But you know that gift comes re- with responsibility. They have to put gas in the car. They have to maintain it, have to drive it responsibly. They'll eventually have to pay registration on it, have to pay for their own license fee someday. There are responsibilities that come with having a car. Even if you get one for free, it's a gift, but it comes with responsibility. That's how gifts work. God's love is a gift. It's free, but it comes with responsibility. And Peter was learning that. If I say I love Jesus that means I have to accept the responsibility that comes with that relationship of love. And that responsibility is to do the things Jesus says to do. Even if the cost to me is great, as it was going to be for Peter, loving Jesus was going to cost him his life someday. Love was free. But it came with responsibility. Three times Jesus says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my people. Peter, that's going to be your job. And not only that, not only is that going to be your responsibility for the rest of your life, but there's going to come a day when they're going to take your life from you. Because you are my disciple. My love is free, Peter. But you're going to pay a price for it. There's a cost. There's a responsibility cost. Peter was learning that lesson. The other lesson that Peter learns is that the pointing finger never works. You know, well, Lord, if i got to do all that, how, what about John over here? What, what's John going to have to do? And Jesus essentially says, Peter, none your business. (laughs) What I have in mind for John is not your business. If I decide I want John to live forever till I come back, that is not your business. Your business is follow me. That's Peter's business. That pointing finger thing never works. You know, we've been trying it from the beginning. You know, we get, that, we get that trait from mom and dad. Adam and Eve, remember them? God comes to Adam in the garden and says, What'd you do? What does Adam do? that woman you gave me brought me some fruit and I ate it. And what happens next, right? God says to Eve, what's this thing you done? That serpent tricked me, and I ate some. And the only reason the serpent isn't pointing at anybody is there's nobody left to point at because it's just Adam and Eve, and he doesn't have fingers. It didn't work for Adam and Eve. It didn't work for Peter. It doesn't work for us, but we still try, don't we? What about-ism hasn't left us? (laughs) You know, we still do that. Well, what about that guy? You know, we get pulled over for speeding. Well, what about that guy that went past me? We still do that. And it still doesn't work. Peter was learning that lesson too. He was learning my responsibility to the Lord is entirely mine. It's not for me to question what somebody else is or should be doing. And That's a thing that we sometimes forget as disciples. Because sometimes it's easy for me to say, man, I'm doing so much. That person's not doing anything. And you know what the Lord says to me when I think that? None your business. That's what he says. My relationship with that disciple is between them and me. You do what you're supposed to do. That's what you're responsible for. You do all you can do. And let me worry about that person. Three difficult lessons Peter learned. The way to maintain my faith in Christ is always to keep my focus on Him. When I start looking and listening to the world around me, that's when I sink. I can only stand on water when my eyes are on Jesus. When my focus is on him. When I rely on him. When I trust him. When as Paul says in Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not because of me. But because I'm drawing my strength from him. Lesson number two Peter learns. Accepting God's forgiveness without limits requires me to forgive without limits. If I expect God to keep forgiving me every time I turn up, say, Lord, I did it again. And he doesn't say, well, sorry, you got up to seven times. You're out of forgiveness. He never does that. And therefore, I can't do that. With others. If I am truly grateful for the forgiveness I get, I have to be equally generous with the forgiveness I give. Amen. And the third lesson the love of the Lord is free, but it comes with a responsibility. And I can only show that I love the Lord by upholding that responsibility. Go read John chapters 13, 14, and where Jesus on the night that he was about to be betrayed talks to his disciples how many times during those three chapters does he say something along the lines of if you love me keep my commandments if you love me do what I tell you to do because that's how we demonstrate love not with words, not by I love you Jesus not by coming here on the first day of every week and singing those songs about how I love the Lord We show that we love him by going out there every day and doing what he said do. Even if it costs us a lot to do it. It may not cost us a lot as much as it cost Peter. But remember, ain't my business. What God had going with Peter is not up to me. What I have to do is live up to the responsibility he's given me to live. To do all I can do in service to him. That's my responsibility of love. As you go this week about your days, think about these three things. Think about how much your faith depends on your focus. Think about how much your strength in Christ depends on your paying attention to him and determine you're going to pay more attention. Spend more time in His Word. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time doing the things that keep you focused. Because that's where your faith comes from. Reflect on the fact that the forgiveness you've been given is boundless. God never says you've run out. No mercy for you today. And if you really are thankful for that gift. Be giving of forgiveness to those who wrong you. Stop holding those grudges. Stop holding back that, yeah, but I remember that time you said that. Let that go. God's forgiven everything you ever ever thought, said or did if you're in Christ. Stop holding that against others. And thirdly, Remember that God's love comes with responsibility. And if you love him, then find ways to exercise that responsibility as you go about your week. Think about these lessons. Let Peter's shortcomings be the way that you overcome yours as he learned these lessons.